0: Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Snow Himbo of the Indie News Network, where he's the co-host of the show Nobody Wants to Work Anymore and Politically Homeless. You can find his content on Twitter, Rumble, YouTube, Rockfin, and lots of other platforms. On the show, we discuss divide and conquer politics, and psychological operations. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. Solidarity forever. with some other platforms as well. He's the co-host of Nobody Wants to Work Anymore and Politically Homeless, and he's got some other projects. So bad, it's good. It's a gaming show, but it's dormant right now. He's looking for some inspiration. Snow Snow Himbo, welcome to the podcast again.
1: Thanks, man. Uh, Glad to be here. Definitely, to be sure, in these uh, uncertain times (laughs) that we're living under. yeah.
0: These are some uncertain times. I just worked all day. Uh, you know, I get tired, but I get amped up for this podcast to you know, try to put on a good face, uh, try to save the world one podcast at a time. I was a little bit tired, but then I opened up a can of liquid uranium diet. Do they're not a sponsor of this podcast and no corporation is, nor would they want to be, but here we go. Liquid uranium running through my veins. I just kind of made that up on our pre-call and uh, I'm going to roll with it.
1: There you go. Yeah. Um I I'm not a I'm not a huge I'm not a huge like pop guy, but uh they sell like a million flavors of Faygo down the street. And I'm not gonna lie, some of them are not atrocious.
0: <laughs> yeah, I try not to drink too much. I mean if it wasn't for having to work like majority of my waking hours, the majority of my life, I probably would try not to drink like soda or energy energy drinks and that sort of stuff you know to kind of get me amped up I would just kind of go with sleep you know and get good sleep and then wake up normally but I got places to be during the waking hours you know what I mean so um you know it it tends to help me I guess I'm probably addicted to it uh but I would really love to stop someday and I'm sure it's terrible for me uh but I do stick with diet stuff although some people say the diet's even worse just just consume the sugar because I guess that fake uh That fake sugar spartamy, I guess that's not too good for you either. I don't know. I guess I'll find out later in life, maybe.
1: Honestly, I'm just so, I'm so torn on that front because there's so many, there's so many things going out about how bad sugar is for you, but then you have, like, the aspartame and all the fake sweeteners, and now everybody's talking about how carcinogenic those are, and it seems like there's, it seems like there's no win here, um...
0: Yeah, Chomsky once said, I like this one, or maybe I think he was uh, re-quoting someone else. that says, uh, you know, it's either been proven to cause cancer or it hasn't been studied yet.
1: Mm. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's uh, the jury's out for a lot of different stuff. Um, I'm rolling the dice personally uh, because I vape. It was the only thing that helped me quit smoking. But I understand that at the end of the day, you know, There could be study, even though it is just propylene glycol, nicotine. There could be studies that come out in twenty years that say it, you know, turns your turns your liver into Swiss cheese. And you know, it's just kind of trial and error. You gotta you gotta roll the dice on these things and hope you get a natural twenty and not a one. So,
0: yeah, I think life uh, causes cancer, but I would never uh, promote like um, you know alcohol. Certainly not sodas. I think um, sugar is probably uh, maybe the worst drug of all. Maybe only uh, maybe first and maybe second might be um, tobacco. Causes um, more deaths a year than I think all the hard drugs combined. And then you must also factor in secondhand smoking, which kills I don't even know countless people uh, around the globe. But yeah, I mean I think uh, excess is, is a bad thing. I think anyone. I think some things are okay in moderation. Uh, I do, however, um, support legalization of, of drugs. So decriminalization legalization i was kind of on a text uh debate earlier today with one of my friends talking about um just the drug policies and he was saying like the cartels and in, in mexico um and you know how the u.s wants to stop them and the mexican government you know does not and i was like no i totally disagree um the cartels are the reason that the cartels are formed is because the war on drugs which is a race war and a class war um i think white people generally use drugs at about the same rate as uh, African-Americans, you know, blacks and minorities, although they are locked up uh, in in prisons at a disproportionate rate. Uh, So they use that, you know, war on drugs um, to um, kind of get, you know, as as a class war and as maybe white supremacy kind of mixed in a little bit um, to kind of troll the superfluous population. Um, and, um, you know, we have this prison industrial complex, uh, mass incarceration. So again, this kind of serves as a kind of a class war, um, angle. Uh, you know, if, if we, if we decriminalize drugs, um, or legalize them focused more on like, uh, rehabilitation ins- instead of like criminalization, you know, behavior and stuff like that victim crimes. Certainly, uh, the cartels would dissolve completely the demand for drugs, uh, is in the United States. So that the drug problem's here, not necessarily in Mexico. But one of the reasons um, the United States and the Mexican government, um, I think the cartel, like I see all kinds of stuff about the cartel breaking up like labor rights, uh, labor movements, working class movements, protests. Uh, I saw they cut up, um, I'm down here in the border on te- in Texas, so that's why I kind of follow some of the stuff. But there was like a, a bus uh, with cut-up students, um, cut-up students and teachers, I think, so... Um, you know, one way to keep the population in line is fear. We kind of said that on the, uh, on the pre-call. Fear is your only god. That's Rage Machine. Uh, but they, you know, they kind of use um, the cartel as like muscle. Uh, but one of the other things that the cartel provides um, is drug money, dark money, uh, untraceable money. And the CIA has been shown to use dark money time after time to kind of fund, um, you know, uh, government overthrows, uh, coup d'etats, um, basically, you know, overthrown a government in South America. They did it throughout the Reagan years in the '80s. Uh, then the United States installs like a puppet regime or you know a dictator that uh, is um, you know essentially uh, sympathetic to the Washington agenda, the Washington consensus. So it's kind of all the big network. I have a book here about. Uh, Edward Herman, Noam Chomsky on uh, basically like terrorism uh, in South America, the drug ring, um, its connection to neo-fascism. I talked about another podcast. Um, I think his name was uh, Gary Gary Webb. Uh, he he was um, uh, he was a uh, reporter for the uh, San Jose Mercury News, and he talked about I guess the crack ep- epidemic in uh, California. I think it was the FBI, maybe the CIA, this big connection with um, South American cocaine. So they were essentially shipping South American cocaine, created the frack epidemic that swept through the country uh, in the 80s, getting a lot of people addicted, destroying communities, destroying lives. Um, And they used that money um, to kind of send guns. So I think they got Nicaraguan. cocaine, and they sent the Contras, who were, you know, the United States wanted to overthrow the government down there, they sent them, sent them weapons, so it was this kind of, like, cycle of guns to Nicaragua, cocaine to San Francisco, and California, actually, I think it was L.A., this is just this dirty network, um, so the, um, those in power, you know, they use the cartels, they use the gangs, actually, uh, a lot of gang affiliations, I think, the, uh, the Crips and the Bloods, with this narco ring, I didn't really do much research. We're just kind of rolling, off, rolling with it. But um, you know, talking about the cartels and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's kind of how it works. Uh, the, you know, they kind of they fund these networks and they they try to make it out to like like you know they want to stop them, but of course they don't. So I think the Mexican government, the United States government, the cartel—they're all very much interconnected. A lot of dirty money getting moved around. And then I actually tweeted out an article today. Speaking of which, Israel, uh, it's a 2018 article from The Intercept, but they essentially created Hamas... So they funded Hamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they needed a uh, you know they needed a bad guy, a Boogeyman, something along those lines. I think um, I saw something about like a tunnel system under the hospital. Actually, Israel apparently I uh, saw an article that said that they created this tunnel system. So a lot of propaganda out there, a lot of um, illusions. But uh, from my knowledge, you know Hamas was created by Israel, and these articles seem pretty compelling to me. And then um, the Taliban. I think the United States created the Taliban. Uh, in uh, in Afghanistan, so just lots of dirty networks and, uh, you know, organized crime and connections to government, and uh, you want, you, people want, uh, I guess the those in power want you to believe that they are the enemies, but they actually kind of work within the system to uh, keep the population under control, and they kind of have, you know, the cartels, for example, um, you know, violence. They use use violence to keep the population under control and they use violence to break up labor resistance and, you know, student movements, and all those types of things. Women that tend to be, um, you know, protest power and protest, um, you know, I guess decisions trying to keep people down. But <laughs> what's, what say you? I was going to ask you about, you know, uh, Canada and, and its kind of policies on like drugs, uh, marijuana, weed. Um, here in the United States, it's kind of decriminalized uh, in some states, but most, I think, still have a long way to go, and it's not legalized in many or most states still. So, what, do you, what have you, what, what say you, snow himbo on the drug ring, um, the dark money ring, um, organized crime, cartels, and drugs generally? That's a way to start the show.
1: Um, So, I haven't studied this extensively by any means, but I always found the I always found things like government clampdown on shit like drugs and guns as well, mind you, um, to be to be a little absurd, because essentially, to me at least, the only thing you're really doing is you're creating another you're creating another industry. It's just going to be an industry that's completely off the books. And if there's one thing capitalists love, it's anything that's off the books, really. Um, But, you know, it's... um, it's especially with drugs in general i mean look you can create all laws in the world but like it's still going to happen um up here in canada we're we're a little more lax i think than a lot of parts of the states when it comes to stuff like uh stuff like marijuana um i don't think we're quite there yet with the harder stuff uh we're we're going down a different uh authoritarian pathway uh as of late (laughs) which uh i'm i'm trying to do more content on um but yeah i mean um that's what that's kind of just the way i've always looked at it it's like okay do are we really against this or are we against us being on the books um i'm a little torn because i think the government the government regulating all of these things i mean up here we have like weed dispensaries everywhere uh they tax a shit out of it but of course they do
0: is it Um, legalized in uh in canada or decriminalized throughout the whole country because again federally in the united states it's illegal um and uh some states you know they give them the i guess the they're they're given states rights on this issue where if a state legalizes it or decriminalizes it then yeah i guess it's federally I guess it's federally not really prosecuted much in the United States, um, even though it's kind of like a gray area. Like, it's illegal, but it's not really feder- federally prosecuted, although they could, I guess, if you got, like, a right-wing authoritarian regime in place, you know what I mean? Even in states that have um, dispensaries and whatnot here, uh, I've, I guess if you got, like, a really right-wing president in office that had no interest in political um popularity in the democratic processes because i think even the majority of republicans here in our right-wing party uh, are in support of legalization of weed uh, but yeah i guess technically if, if the right-wing administration got
1: power they could uh, they could bust people for smoking pot again if they wanted to what about oh. data, though? what's the policy there is it federally uh decriminalized is it federally legalized or is it still kind of a gray area like it is here in the united states um, so up here, we literally, I'm not joking, we have weed shops. Um, you just walk in and you buy some weed. Um, I would know because I do it. Uh, there's it's as far as I know, the only restrictions are like you know, you gotta show an ID, you can't be six years old. Uh, and want her into a weed shop.
0: So, I actually lived in Maryland uh, before I moved down here. I had a, a Maryland card and uh, yeah, walked right in. It was uh, medically, um, it was medical marijuana. It was not recreational. So, you had to, you know, kind of go to a doctor, go through this trade, pay him a bunch of money, tell them that Tuesdays make me sad, and then you get your weed card. Yeah. Um, but here down in Texas and most of the South, Uh, It's illegal, and I think you could still probably get in some big trouble if you're smoking it or it's out in the open down here. Uh, But yeah, in a lot of the blue states and Pacific Northwest and stuff, uh, you know, it's uh, recreational uh, legalized and also medically legalized in a lot of states, and that's continuing to grow. But throughout the whole uh, country of Canada, is it just federally legal, or uh, is it still just kind of in pockets, or are you not sure?
1: Let me check that real quick.
0: Sounds good. Let's see. Where, where can I, um, I can go on. Just a, good uh, <laughs> um, I'm just good call going to go though When they, um,
1: when they want to shut down Congress, they'll just read the phone book. What's that called again? Oh, fuck. I forgot. Um, <laughs> I'm a terrible Canadian. Uh, so as of last year, Canada is trialing, dr- decriminalizing cocaine, MDMA, and other drugs, okay. which, uh, in British Columbia, but of course it's British Columbia, right? That's like the least surprising province for this to happen
0: in. That's like the um, most liberal, most leftist one or
1: uh, not leftist per se. I would say it's the most um <coughs> the most lax at least when it comes to drugs. Um, okay. You know, they were they were pretty Pretty on the high end of the spectrum when it came to certain policies during certain periods of time recently. So I wouldn't say it's the most leftist. Um, yeah, you know, but up here it's it's like the states. It's just it's just varying degrees of compromising with capitalism. We, I will say this forever: we have no actual left wing on this continent. Yeah, <laughs> we just totally um, We've just got various degrees of. It's just what flavor of conservative do you want? That's about it. And, and
0: I think you know, to get these, like, do um, you get these permits to sell weed? Because basically, you just print money with these, you know, with these shops, these medical marijuana shops, and these um, medical, or I'm sorry, marijuana um, dispensaries. You know, just the demand the, the is there, so they're just printing money. So there's a lot of nepotism, crony capitalism. You got to have connections. You got to have a lot of money. And uh, corporations are getting into the business too, which is. A terrible thing. Uh, I am a very anti-corporation. I'm all for like co-ops, small business, local community business, community owned and operated, or you know maybe owned and operated by the workers. Uh, I think you know I'm sure just like every other sector of the economy, every other industry, at some point, um, corporations, if they haven't already, are going to be dominating the weed trade too.
1: Yeah, and let me just say, I can't wait for how shitty corporation sold weed is going to be because you know (laughs) they're going to figure out a way to like make it though it's going to be the worst weed possible and they're they're going to squeeze every every saving out of the production process it's going to be it's going to be grown and farmed by people they can pay as as low as humanly possible and they're going to skip every single corner in the process to the point where, like, it's not, I don't even think it'll look like maybe. The yeah, I mean, animals.
0: No doubt about it, exploitation. I mean, it's, these corporations are profit-seeking, profit-maximizing institutions. They're not humanitarian institutions. They do nothing for the public good. They're not trying to, you know, help the workforce. Uh, we had, like, the American dream down here uh, in the United States. Uh, at one time, you know, during the golden age of, Capitalism, you can afford a home, uh, maybe even on one income, you could retire afford a couple cars, put your kids through college, uh, you know, your, your kids could have uh, the expectations of having a better life than you. Uh, we actually had pensions down here, uh, but as the corporations and the financial sector uh, began to take over political power, um, you know, the, the American dream has died, the expectations here are um, you know people just hoping to get by? You know, and most people don't expect to have um, you know a better life than their parents. Which is, I think, we're the first generation where the optimism is is just not there. But yeah, I mean, I think the the corporations, um, you know, they they take over and destroy every sector of the economy. And uh, yeah, I'm sure. We're, uh, weed is going to be one of them, but I would totally support like, uh, you know, local local growers, local, local weed distribution uh, networks and, and whatnot, and um, you know, it's totally co-ops, you know, owned and operated by the workforce. Maybe you, you grow it, you distribute it, you come up with this, different trends. I'm by no means a weed expert. I haven't smoked in years. Um, you know I'm in uh, healthcare, so kind of my line of work now at this point, uh, you know, I kind of gave it up. But uh, I think maybe when I retire, I'll probably get back into it. Um, But, yeah, I'm no expert by any means. Uh, What I would say is, like, I think anything is decent, you know, in moderation. It seems like, um, you know, uh, weed is a lot, I would say, safer than alcohol, which is terrible. I mean, it destroys your body. And then, you know, while you're using it, you know, crashes and alcohol-related deaths, um, you know, gun violence on alcohol, all that sorts of stuff is terrible. And then, you know, tobacco uh, kills millions of people every year around the world. I don't think there's ever been any case uh, linked to marijuana. So as out of all the drugs, I don't think any of them are great, but I would say weed is you know, probably the top of the list that might be least bad for you. I guess, I guess it has some medical benefits. I'm a little bit skeptical. Some of the studies I've read, the psychoactive component of it seems to be the most uh, beneficial. I'm not too much into the, um, what's that stuff called? The, uh, extract
1: the cream and stuff where they put on you know i'm talking about like the sorry like the uh like the cannabis oil and all that or Uh, like the thc versus the um...
0: the the thc the psychoactive component i think is what um is is beneficial but uh yeah anyways (laughs) How about the uh, how about politics? I think we talked a little bit about this on our um, you know first podcast together. But where do you where do you see the difference between USA politics and Canadian politics? Is U.S. or Canada just a little bit slightly left of the United States with a health care system? Is that about it? I've seen a lot of stuff on like cost of living crises and um, mm-hmm. homes. I, I guess it's insanely difficult and insanely expensive now to get a home in Canada, and the, and the costs continue to rise.
1: Oh yeah, pretty much everybody. First off, the, major- the overwhelming majority of Canadians are in debt. Whenever most of your country is in debt, then it, it, it's not a great sign because what it's signaling is that the majority of the people in your country do not have the purchasing power to be able to support their cost of living. And I know a lot, a lot of right-wingers will you know, give all those talking points like, oh, well, just don't buy the avocado toast or be more... St- more intelligent with your money but at the end of the day you got to look at the bell curve the overwhelming majority of the population is struggling then that's it and i'm sure they can all stop you know buying the two dollar more mushroom soup from the grocery store but i i think it's a bigger problem than that um we do have a massive housing crisis uh everybody i know has given up on ever owning a home it's it's um we're were a generation of renters, um, I I've always kind of argued that the the uh, the the socialized healthcare aspect is kind of something we used to get away with all the other all the other failings we have as a country, and not to mention, I mean, we are the more conservative parts of our government are working day and night to try and take that socialized healthcare away. Uh, I know the conservatives are looking to privatize it. They've been looking to privatize it for years. So um, are we further left? I suppose if you factor in healthcare, then yes. Uh, I think we have some different, uh, some different laws when it comes to labor here and there, but yeah, so like, I
0: think there's no. I think there's very limited, or maybe no paternity, maternity leave here. I think in the, in Canada, it's pretty good. Uh, in the United States, we have no guarantees for sick time. I think in Canada, it's at least a few weeks, a couple weeks, if not more. Um, you know, we have like uh, social security. So you know, when you get older, you get uh, a small lump sum per month. You know, to live on. So, uh, but I just had a professor on outside of Philly. And he said uh, the average rent now, where he was living just outside of Philly, has now exceeded um, the average uh, Social Security payment. So how about your safety nets? I mean, in the United States, our safety nets have continued to be dissolved, dismantled, um, you know, by the right and sometimes even the left. I mean, Biden the White House has been trying to cut Social Security and Medicare's whole career. Um, so what limited safety nets we have in the United States, again, the right is attacking. And, of course, we don't have a, a healthcare system. Uh, I think we have very limited um, unemployment insurance. If you lose your job, you only get a few months and it's like a tiny fraction of your uh, salary, maybe half or a little bit more than half. You know, try living on half your salary when you get a kind of certain lifestyle. You know what I mean? Oh, we're just going to cut mm-hmm. this in half. Like, you know, good luck. So uh, how about the safety nets, though, so in, in Canada? Uh, the United States, they're they're very minimal and continuing to erode with each passing uh, administration.
1: Oh, they're atrocious um so i just did the math uh for example like disability so let's say someone gets injured and they're physically unable to work any longer uh the maximum up here i believe at this time is 1200 canadian which would be 875 dollars u.s a month um i don't know anywhere in canada where you can even pay rent for that for that little money so that means if you're disabled and you're lucky enough to have family, you can stay with. Then sure, you can use some of that money to chip in, sort of. Um, but if you if you're disabled and you have no one to stay with, it's just it's just a speed run to being homeless, really, because yeah. there's there's no help for you. Uh, as far as welfare, I mean, our welfare. If you get if you lose your job, is even less than that. And our companies all can circumvent any sort of, you know, sick leave or employment insurance or anything like that. Because a lot of our companies just like to go the contract route where they won't hire someone full time. They'll put someone on a contract and they'll essentially treat them exactly like they would a full time employee. And, uh, you know, the second, the second they want to lay them off, they want to go for cheaper labor or, you know they just feel like downsizing um they can just let you go, and you don't really have there's nothing you can do about it really you're on contract and uh you know the the surge in gig work i think is a direct result of companies uh looking to squeeze every last penny out of uh, how much it costs for them to pay their workers uh and uh yeah to answer your question a little more summarily um <clears throat> Our safety nets are nowhere near enough. I don't think a single one is. And it's infuriating. And I'm, I, I know for a fact it's the same there in the States because the more conservative types are complaining about these safety nets. And it's like, okay, what are what are you complaining about? This pittance that people get every month? They don't live off it. And that's why I felt that talking point of like, nobody wants to, <laughs> name of my show, nobody wants to work anymore. <laughs> uh, be, you know, the talking... Shameless point, plug. Shameless yeah, plug. Yeah, period. <laughs> now go out um, look whatever you want. But that whole, um, that whole talking point where it's like, oh, nobody wants to work because the government pays them to stay home. I just ask people, it's like, okay, where can you live for $800 a month? Where? Can you point to it on a map? Can you point to it anywhere in your country? Can you point to it anywhere in North America? Because, frankly, I don't know... <clears throat> I don't know what kind of people are living high off the hog for $800 a month. I mean, yeah,
0: down here in America, they had uh, Reagan and he had like, he demonized like uh, African-American women with children, uh, you know, saying, you know, getting in their Cadillacs and driving down to city hall or wherever to get their welfare checks each month with their kids in the back. And, you know, all this kind of these welfare, welfare millionaires in the United States. It's insane. Uh, They actually had a study here. I, I saw as, not too long ago, uh, I want to say it was done in the 2000s, um, and I'm sure our policies are even worse now. That uh, they continue to get, they go from bad to worse. But they asked people like, how much, um, how much money do uh, welfare recipients uh, receive? And uh, they they said, uh, you know, they said they said too much. You know, and they said, well, give a dollar figure or something along those lines and the dollar figure was way higher than what we actually give uh, or no I'm sorry it said um they said uh you know they said um how much should we be giving to to welfare recipients and the dollar figure they get throughout there was way higher than they actually give. So people are just so propagandized. They have no idea. Uh, the United States is one of the most miserly countries in the world as it relates to, like, foreign aid. Uh, and especially, you know, in terms of our safety nets or, what, or lack thereof, um, people can't live off of it. And uh, speaking of foreign aid... I think, uh, Israel, uh, has received like 160 billion, I threw this number out a couple of times, I think it's about right, since World War II, if Israel was a state, it would be number one in federal funding, it's about the size of Delaware, like one of our smallest states, and we've essentially been, uh, funding it since World War II, to, um, you know, kind of keep our foot in the Middle East, to kind of control the world's oil supply, um, and, and, you know, we're allowing and paying for the, the continued illegal settlements, and, uh, you know, the uh, colonialism going on there and the expansion of the illegal territories. um, And we call it aid. And uh, I think if you, um, the United States in terms of giving foreign aid is already one of the most miserly in the world. But then when you exclude Israel for basically, you know, the aid quote unquote, that we're giving, it's basically aid to military aid to essentially cause genocide. So, you know, it's called humanitarian aid, but it's essentially aid going to the genocide of the Palestinians. But then when you exclude Israeli aid, Um, The United States is just off the spectrum in terms of how little it gives, and it's the richest country in world history, and yet, you know, we pretty much don't give any money unless it's, you know, going to, um, you know, further our political agenda, and of course, uh, our agenda is to control the world's um, oil supply in the Middle East, and uh, we use Israel as our loyal servant, our attack dog, our lieutenant, our client state, uh, and Israel is essentially a military outpost for United States imperialism.
1: I always say that more people should play the Civilization series because, like, in order to win, you, it helps you really understand um, just the on, the goings, the going-ons of the world, especially when it comes to America. Um, but, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that video of Joe Biden in the Senate, but he – this dude's been saying the quiet part out loud for, for years, decades even. Long time. He basically admits. He says, "You know, if there wasn't an Israel, we'd have to invent one. It's it's one of our best investments." And it's like, bro, you can't just say that, yeah, in front of a camera. And I mean, he knows the
0: mainstream media though. He knows the mainstream media, the subservient press. He knows it won't get circulated. It won't get reported. So he's. We have a very um, loyal, subservient um, intellectual community in. Um, you know, corporate media that advances the agenda of the ruling class. So you know, he, he knows that that stuff's not going to get circulated. And it hasn't outside of independent, you know, left
1: wing Twitter and whatnot. That's where I saw the video, though. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much right. And if you look at all the all the recent rumblings and discussions of you know clamping down on the internet and you know loony bins like Nikki Haley talking about every single person on the internet should have like a uh, God, what did she say? She said something like they should have like a verifiable identity, and there's talks of you know like consequences for what you're saying online. There,
0: that certainly doesn't sound like free speech. I thought the right was supposed to be some free speech absolutists. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm being <laughs> facetious. Obviously, they're not. That's terrible.
1: It's free speech for thee, but not for me. That's always that's always been the rights kind of go to because. Look at, look at all this prop- – look at all the talk when people are pushing back against this propaganda when it comes to you know, the, uh, the ongoing genocide we're all watching. They're, all, of them, all of them are screeching for people to be silenced, for people to be reported. Um, and I, the part I find the most insulting is that the propaganda isn't even new. They're using the same playbook they did for the war in Iraq you know you're same with us for
0: Vietnam if we were alive then the same for Vietnam I mean I think Mark Twain said uh, history doesn't our history doesn't repeat itself but it often rhymes and it rhymes all the time in terms of uh, US power interests and the imperial agenda so but uh, yeah. yeah I'm sure the same the same for Iraq the same for Afghanistan the same for Vietnam the same for Korea before that I mean it goes on and on the same the same kind of stuff is recycled nothing's new except the population is up a little bit. I think there's a lot of resistance uh, for this, you know, Israeli genocide going on in Palestine. And I saw support for what's going on there um, is basically uh, dwindles with with by generation. So I think the boomers support Israel the most. They're the most propagandized Gen Z, the complete opposite. They the majority of them support um, Gaza. And I think the majority of them, we talked about this, uh, Robert Durden's on the podcast. We talked about this, that, you know, they kind of get their media through social media. It's not, you know, through the corporate elites, you know, they kind of are out there making up their own minds. That's a great thing. The uh, the fracturing, you know, the media, the way people consume media, we're seeing it uh, down generational lines. Um, but I think definitely a lot of millennials, too, are very much so outspoken against the rogue state of Israel and supporting the Palestinians as they are being slaughtered, massacred, ethnic cleansing going on, all that bad stuff. It's clear and obvious to me, but a lot of people out there are propagandized and can't see through it, and that's unfortunate. That's part of what I'm trying to do here on Necessary Illusions. Get out the truth, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I hear you.
0: So, uh, Snow Himba, my my knowledge of Canada, uh, it's basically Toronto and a bunch of, uh, what, woods, forests, polar bears, so... Are you in Toronto or are you in the woods? Is there, is there anything else to Canada?
1: <clears throat> um, so our country, for all of its land, especially being the second largest landmass on Earth, um, we are woefully underpopulated. We're about a tenth of uh, America. You we're know, sizably larger, although I would blame that on the cold, obviously, because we're further to the north. Um, but yeah, we've got Toronto. That's our biggest city. We've got vancouver that's kind of like our california and then we've got uh we've got calgary that's pretty big too uh that's where all our oil is so uh weirdly enough it's it it has more of an american vibe can't imagine how that happens um but yeah aside from that i mean we've got a lot of large cities a lot of land and it kind of just spreads out um <clears throat> You've got a lot of areas that are completely uninhabited uh you know it's crazy you you go to toronto and it's very much like new york but if you drive like an hour in any direction um you're gonna get woods back roads all of a sudden they turn into dirt roads you might see some amish here and there uh people may be on horseback so uh it's a it's a very interesting country insofar as we've concentrated a lot of our development in very specific areas. Uh strategically, of course. But then um but then, you know, we I I don't feel like we've made a lot of I don't feel like we've made a lot of uh wise choices just with the amount of land we have. Um, especially in places like Toronto where you've got, you know, people Tons of people crammed into, like, one-bedroom, tiny little apartments. And it's like, it just, there's, I just don't see, I don't see where we're going with it, to be honest. Um, We could be developing outwards, creating, you know, vast networks and all that. And it just seems like people are just building on Toronto more, building on Vancouver more, and kind of trying to keep everybody as like close together as possible, which is creating like a lot of overpopulation in very small areas, while uh while the the rest of this gorgeous country kinda just sits there largely unchallenged. I think that's which great you... actually. I'm gonna I'm
0: actually gonna have to push back here. I've I've seen some like theoretical stuff on like how society should be structured. Like um like, basically, like, cities where people all, all kind of, like, group together and maybe you're able to walk to work or you have public transportation, uh, you know, in these, like, residential areas. But then outside the city is, like, the farms that feed that city. Like, I'm thinking about, like, kind of smaller. Uh, I really like narco syndicalism So, like, local communities, uh, maybe somewhat autonomous. I definitely want to get rid of these, like, um, you know, global supply chains and that kind of stuff. I mean, and there's no doubt going to have to be like international trade and whatnot, but I love the idea of like an autonomous, self-sustaining city where maybe it's like planned and organized so that like people live in a certain area and they can kind of minimize the footprint and li- live close enough where like we don't need the suburbanization like the United States here where we're all spread out. We got these suburbs. We have these this roads system. We always, ha- you know, we have our little lawns that are completely inefficient, there's no biodiversity, we waste a ton of water on. Uh, I've seen some, again, like theories for the future, um, you know, like future civilizations, how people are kind of like all grouped up uh, in these, you know, kind of population centers um, but, you know, not close enough where you can kind of walk to work or take public transportation. Outside the cities, you have, like, the farm areas. And then we keep the the wilderness, like, we keep nature, we keep it intact. So I think that's a great thing, honestly, the way it sounds like you're describing Canada. Uh, I think the forests, um, the northern woods or whatever they're called, um, you know, I think they're huge. They're largely, um, you know, un, untapped um, by, you know, man, like, we're not cutting them down. We're not using for, I'm sure they're using it for logging and stuff, but like I've seen like some nature documentaries, all kinds of nature documentaries, you know, kind of going over Canada and it's just like large expansion wilderness. I mean, it, I think it's awesome. I hope that, I hope it, you know, continues. I think, um, I think something like, you know, when the, when the trees are, have their leaves on it, you know, like North America, like, you know, it's like the lungs or right? I guess they call that, uh, the Amazon, the lungs of of the world as they continue to cut that down. But like the amount of carbon that these trees just in Canada and North America, when the leaves are on the trees, um, you know, take a ton of CO2 out of the air and obviously the CO2 concentration continues to rise. But yeah, I think it's a bad thing, you know, using cars and CO2 emissions and the suburbanization, it was a social engineering project. So kind of what you're describing and how these cities are, I kind of like that idea on a larger and grander scale uh, I would just like to insert some public transportation uh, and, and get rid of our uh, reliance on cars and highway systems. They're they're just terrible, and I think they destroy the the planet. And you know, the not just the aesthetics of it, but they're just um, you know they're ugly. They're they're ugly to look at, but then they also um, you know destroy nature. Like I've seen lots of roads like what, could, what would be like beautiful waterfront property, and you got these big nasty um, roads where it could be you know. Community centers, parks, housing, you know, all kinds of things um, right on the water that I'm sure tons of people would would like. Uh, But have you thought about any of that stuff? Like how society, I wrote that down for our podcast, how society should be structured, how cities should be structured. Uh, I love the maintaining of nature and biodiversity in Canada. It's a beautiful, beautiful state. I was just kind of being silly earlier. Um, I think we we should maintain those large, wondrous Luscious, (laughs) Luscious, <laughs> beautiful um, you know, forest that you guys got there.
1: Um, so I'd say I'd first clarify that um I'm absolutely all for all of that as well. Uh I think the problem with Canada is that there's absolutely no balance, at least in cities like Toronto. I mean, there's just too many people in such a small area to the point where it's comical. Like I remember when I lived in Toronto and I lived there for a solid ten years. Um getting up to just take the subway to work was it was it was bonkers you have an entire subway station packed with people like 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 it's like getting on the streetcar was like trying to fit sardines in so i feel like with our technology the way it's at right now um we can be a little bit more responsible with our distribution but i also feel like we can also be a lot more responsible um, with taking care of the environment. I mean, I live out here in the sticks. I'm in a, I'm in a house. We're not in a suburb or anything. Um, I work in tech. I've worked in tech for over a decade. You know, I can, I can work from home. And I think a lot of people, you know, for, for them, that helps greatly reduce the footprint as well. Um, you know, not having to drive back and forth half an hour, 20, sorry, 40 minutes uh, back and forth. Um, But I largely agree with you. Um, I think the more we invest into smart technology, um, the better it's going to be for our environment. And I look forward to a day where we can enjoy everything nature has without having any hindrances when it comes to technology. And I think the very valid concerns people have about our advancing technology are only a problem under capitalism um i made a tweet about this today it's like for ai is a perfect example right um AI would be phenomenal if we didn't live under capitalism because it would help us get an insane amount of work done that we weren't able to get done before and we might possibly be able to spend more time enjoying our lives and pursuing things that make us happy uh but we can't and the only thing people look at when it comes to stuff like ai is trepidation because we all just think of, you know, what the what the rich and powerful are going to use it for, and for AI, they're all just rubbing their hands going, oh, goody! now we can lay off a ton of people. We don't have to pay for all this labor, and we can just have the AI do it. Um, and it, I have the same attitude when it comes to the environment. Under cap- capitalism, I'm extremely cynical because, A... I don't think any of these companies are actually ever going to care about the environment. I think all this talk about climate change from organizations like the World Economic Forum and even our own governments is all smoke and mirrors. I don't think they're going to let it get in the way of profit. Yeah, the social Um,
0: corporation, that was like a marketing scheme, I, I want to say in the 80s. Uh, All this nonsense about, like, um, environmentally and socially uh, conscious corporations. It's all nonsense. I don't agree with, um, what's his name, Uh, (laughs) Milton Friedman. I don't agree with him on much, although he was for uh, legalization of prostitution. I am as well for legalization of drugs. I don't really think we should criminalize behavior. I think sex work is real work. I think it's probably the first or one of the first professions ever in the world. But anyways, the other thing about uh, Milton Friedman that I agree with is corporations are profit-seeking institutions. That's all they can do is maximize profit. They're going to destroy the planet. They're not creating a better life for their workers. Only the small group of people, uh, you know, the board of directors, the CEOs, you're making them insanely rich and you're making um, uh people that have to rent themselves you know to a middle manager or you know uh at the bottom you know kind of getting uh you know getting stepped on by uh who's ever in, uh, above you in that hierarchy um and uh, you know just destroying the planet and essentially it's the vehicles that the the rich and powerful use to enrich themselves you know the corporations so uh, i think we should get rid of corporations we can ask the king to be more benevolent we could ask and beg for a more benign system of Capitalism, maybe like the Nordic capitalism that they have in like Norway and you know those kind of countries, Sweden, where they have pretty good quality of life um, metrics and uh, you know a better welfare system and a welfare state. But it's still capitalism. You know, we're still wage slaves, an army of wage slaves. The majority of uh, the population is renting themselves to a master just for the subsistence to get by. And I think that's an intolerable system. So I think generally, yeah, I'm in favor of like co-ops. I'm not in favor of so full corporations or, you know, these neo-colonial organizations like the IMF and these trade organizations um, you know, the World Bank and all that kind of stuff. I think we should just get rid of these institutions. I don't think we can reform them. I'd say throw them out and, uh, you know, institute and maybe develop more democratic uh, organizations and institutions, uh, hopefully owned and operated by the workforce or the local community. Again, another plug for anarcho-syndicalism. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, <laughs> syndicalism would definitely be, definitely be a step up. But at this point, like, we gotta pretty much any... Somewhere. Pretty much anything would, right? Because <laughs> where we're at, it's, and that's what I find, that's what I find hilarious about conservatives, because they'll, they'll rant on endlessly about how scary dictatorships are, and then they'll defend the fact that the overwhelming majority of people go to work at one, eight hours a day, every day. Uh, and then and they'll slurp
0: up Elon like. Musk, you know, the oligarch that he uh-huh. is in control of so much of our lives, and these people don't even know it.
1: Yep. Yep, and uh what a fine job he's done with Twitter, let me say. It turned up
0: what was it, forty-two million dollar company into a seventeen million dollar company, he's cut the value in half. Something like that he's, he's took over.
1: He's not only cut it in half, but like he's the supposed free speech warrior, and I mean censorship is off the charts. I um I mean I see people get banned every day and they're I don't even know what they're doing wrong. I don't even know what they're saying wrong. Uh, they're, they're, it's, it's mostly opinion. Like, I don't support this. And then the next day you see one of them and they're suspended from Twitter. And you're like, okay, well, what happened there? Isn't this supposed to be a free speech bastion? Why, why am I still seeing messages from people every day saying that you were suspended because of something you said? It doesn't sound like a free speech warrior behavior to me. It sounds like someone is LARPing and they, they have gotten a lot of people invested in the LARP, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Just like uh, the internet, it was developed. You talked about AI uh, automation, um, you know, computers, uh, the information system that we are using right now, it was all developed in the public sector for decades with taxpayer money. Um, so, and then it was spun off to people like Bill Gates, Elon Musk to make a fortune on. So like, for example, Twitter could be some sort of like public, um, institution where it's democratically owned and operated by the community. And, you know, we make our own rules instead of just top down rules from a dictator like Elon Musk that says, Hey, you're banned because you said something bad about me. Uh, we're going to promote this, uh, content here because you know, they're, they're uh, going and saying negative things against my enemy. And I like that supposedly this nonsense like with Biden and, and uh, Musk feuding, which is just, you know, it's just ridiculous. Uh, I'm sure Musk uh, is, is given to both parties throughout his career. I believe I saw a stat that he has. Um, So, you know, he's playing both sides just like every other uh, dictator and oligarch. There's a lot of talk about, like, Russian oligarchy. The U.S. oligarchy is way stronger, way stronger than the Russian oligarchy. Although I wouldn't say that, um, you know, Russia is more free by any means. I think the United States has a lot more freedoms and and good free speech rights. But it's not perfect. We've got got to democratize society. We've got to keep pushing through uh, and fighting this uphill battle. But, again, back to AI, automation, developed for decades in the public sector – Uh, It could have been used to empower the workforce. It could have been used, like you were saying, to make our lives better. You know, we could make robots, you know, do difficult jobs, monotonous jobs, uh, dangerous jobs. Instead, AI and automation has been used to empower management to de-skill workers and to essentially put us in competition with robots and under the system of capitalism where we've just kind of articulated and discussed the lack of a welfare state and safety nets. uh, If robots put us out of a job, we're in trouble because there's nothing to fall back on. So this system that was uh, essentially um, funded with taxpayer money, they're using it against us to, um, you know, itemize us and to destroy us and to destroy what it is to be um, working class. I mean, I think they there's going to be a small group of elites in the world ruling over all of us, and the rest of us are going to be very, very poor and struggling just to get by. And, at least, and that's at least the way I see this entire world kind of turning into this neoliberal world where essentially, um, you know, corporations are the vehicles that these uh, powerful and rich people use to, um, you know, dominate the, the whole planet, and then taxpayer money uh, you know, you're giving them right back to these corporations, uh, essentially. And then there's also like, um, so for for example, like Walmart and some of these companies where they're paying uh, poverty wages. So essentially, we're subsidizing these corporations that pay us poverty wages. So they can work, you know, full time or part time in some corporation and still get like a welfare check because they're below the poverty line. Uh, what we need to do is to have a real living wage, you know. So there was like the fight for 15 a few years ago. But with this out of control inflation, uh, I, I said it before, I'll say it again, like make up a number. I don't, I don't even know what to put the minimum wage at to make it reasonable, to make it a, something you can actually live and sustain a decent lifestyle uh, with human dignity on. Is it 100 an hour $50 an hour $25 an hour certainly at this point though $15 in the US uh, you know it's not going to really get, get you a nice lifestyle certainly not in Manhattan or California and probably not even here down here in Texas you know so I don't know uh, I don't know the fight for 15 was a couple years ago and that didn't go through but at this point it's got to be at least bare minimum the fight for 25
1: I mean <clears throat> I mean if you're looking at just surviving um and a lot of people don't factor in, like, just how screwed the average person is with debt. If you're just looking at surviving, you know, keeping the lights on, keeping, keeping a roof over your head, keeping food in your belly, then at least 30, at least 30. Were you saying but,
0: payment plans for pizza? Remember the last time we were on a podcast, like payment plans for everything, payment plans for grocery and pizza. I mean, that's kind of what what they're getting us on. Yeah. I mean, we can't afford to we can't afford to get by with our weekly food, so now we got to go on payment plans just
1: to kind of get enough food in our bellies. Yeah, and um, you know, with uh, with AI and replacing your workforce with robots, I mean, I don't. I don't think that I know a lot of people think the people in charge are very smart. I will disagree s- strongly. I I don't think I don't think so. I think a lot of it's hubris. But hey, whether they're, they're smart or not, they're psychopaths. They're trying to
0: destroy yeah. our community, our social network, our our survivability, our subsistence. They're trying to destroy our dignity, what it is to be human. Even if they are smart or even if they're stupid, their agenda is different than mine. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. No. Um, totally agree. What I was getting at was, um, you know, I don't think they've realized that. Yeah, sure. You can replace your entire workforce with robots, but guess what? You're not giving that robot a paycheck that they can go then and purchase goods and services. So you're not doing yourself any favors because sure, you can have your whole workforce automated, but if nobody can purchase anything you're selling, then credit's only going to go so far. It's only going to go so far to the point where, like, everybody can't afford to pay the credit at least. And then what's going to happen for your business then? It um
0: Wasn't that kind of Mark's argument? He said that, like, the capitalists are their own worst enemy. It's kind of a self-destructive system where eventually, you know, you're trying to keep the, the workforce uh, as close to barely able to survive, right? As close to poverty as you can Um, but you know, again, that kind of system where people can't afford to buy the products that they're making, uh, that's, that's not sustainable, right?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was materialism. It was, um, that's, uh, you got to give Marx credit because that was, that was the inherent fundamental flaw, the biggest contradiction in capitalism that he pointed out where it's, it's a system where you're, you've got a pool of people and you need them to do two things. You need them to work for you. And you need them to buy your shit, and um guess what? If you don't pay them enough money to work for you, then they're not going to have enough money to buy your shit and that's that's just it that's like that just that's it's it's a very it's a very simple mic drop, and you know the more people I was just talking to some friends today on you know some of my friends are out of work. Because, you know, companies went through another wave of layoffs. And, um, you know, uh, we're getting to a point where, you know, if you keep trying to outsource your labor to the lowest bidder and replace people where you can with automation, you're just making that problem worse for you. Your your profits aren't going to increase because you're going to hit a point where there's going to be no profits to be had because nobody can afford what you're selling. So... I don't really know what the what the plan is that they've got cooking up moving forward. Um, I know there's a lot of talk of you know, um, you know, shit like the uh, the Great Reset, where we're going to bring in stakeholder capitalism, and hopefully on, that'll I'm make clear. it better.
0: Yeah, t- talk to me about the Great Reset. I actually have a book here, um, Alistair Lord. He was on my podcast. He has a a book entitled uh, An Alternative to the Great Reset. So I haven't read his book yet. I have heard some stuff on the Great Reset. Why don't you, why don't you discuss it a little bit? Talk to me about it. I, I, I've i only heard it in passing. I haven't studied it, uh, but I'm interested. It's come up a, a bunch, and I,
1: probably one of the things I should start looking into. What's the Great Reset? What's that all about? Uh, so the Great Reset is something that's initially proposed by the uh, the head of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. And um, it it hinges greatly on a book that he wrote that people can order from Amazon. I I would advise against giving him money because he's essentially the real world world version of Dr. Evil. But um, you can look it up on your own, but it's essentially a, it's branded as, I'll put it this way, their slogan is you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Which right off the bat, that's not a great. um, I think they maybe should have run that with, PR a couple more times because yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not good. Yeah. Nobody nobody likes that at all. Um, People like stuff. I mean, People like stuff. Human
0: beings like stuff. Even if we were still um, hunter gatherers, you know, I'd still want some spearheads and uh, you know, a nice animal cloak and uh, maybe a little place to get some shade. You know.
1: Yeah. So the main the main thing with stakeholder capitalism essentially hinges on. Um, you know, corporations kind of having a seat at the table as well as government. Oh, and so, no, no,
0: no. Corporations yeah. won't dissolve. Okay, keep going, but I'm already like, nope, no, this is not for me.
1: It's essentially, I, I'll just simplify it as best I can, it's essentially neo-feudalism. Um yeah. You know, you'll have and when you look at all the other things that are cooking up, you know, these digital IDs, digital currencies, it's they essentially want to they essentially want to say, let's make a trade. You give us your labor. Um, and we'll, and we'll keep you shelter. alive. We'll keep you yeah.
0: alive and you don't need money or, you know, you don't need uh, to, to own a home. They essentially want to be like the slave societies, you know, where, um, you know, we, they, they had homes for the slaves, food, shelter, uh clothing. Or maybe what came to mind, like you said, neo um, feudalism. Or remember, like the the robber barons, the coal barons, uh, in the at the turn of the century. Um, you know, during the time of uh, or after the Industrial Revolution, where you had these like coal towns or coal coal factories or whatever the mines, and then they owned the whole town, so that you know at, at the end of the week you got your. Um, your paycheck, But then you went to the bar and, and drank beer and, you know, gave it to the, uh, you know, the, the barkeeper or whatever, which was, of course, the bar was owned by the, the coal mines. Then you go yeah. to the, the general store to buy clothes and food, which, again, was owned by the coal mines. And then you pay your rent, uh, which is, you know, paying essentially back to the, the coal barons. And then, it, uh, you know, you go back and do it again because all your money has gone, you know, so it's just kind of like recycled within the system. So that's exactly what it sounds like to me. Uh, you know, these cold towns where they're giving you a check and then you just pay it right back to them, you know.
1: Pretty much. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's I, I, th- I think they're smart enough to realize that the system is not sustainable forever. Um, it's, you know, I also have a theory that a lot of people at the top are sensing a proletarian revolution of some kind. Um, I think they kind of are, you know, seeing the elephant in the room. They're like, okay, this is going to get to a point where no amount of, no amount of propaganda or, or lying is going to work on, um, you know, something's going to happen. Uh, I feel like it's the hand they need to play because it's going to get to a point where just you're going to get a ton of people who just can't afford to live. And, um, you know, the last thing you want to give a large group of people is nothing to lose.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, poverty is the seed of revolution. I think... uh... You know, the continued um, wealth inequality here. The United States is off the charts compared to the rest of the industrialized country. There's a lot of wealth inequality in the third world. But the U.S. is unique because we have high levels of wealth, the highest in the world. But also, if you go walk around some of our inner cities, you know, they resemble um, cities of the the third world. I mean, the poverty in these uh, inner cities is incredible. Um, Yeah, I (laughs) I think there's a lot of... I think we're getting close to the shit hitting the fan. I'm surprised, you know, that we don't see more, um, you know, kind of pushback, violence, revolution, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think the, the other thing is propaganda is a very effective tool. There's a lot of propagandized people. I think there's a lot of exploited workers out there with Stockholm syndrome
1: that think they're actually capitalists, you know? Oh, my God. The amount of people who are arguing for cats The amount of people who call themselves capital capitalists and then i'm like wait what capital do you own yeah and it turns out they're just they're just another proletariat but they've been so brainwashed that they're like no oh no you're this person they're a temporarily inconvenienced millionaire yeah that's that's the phrase i love that phrase but um i think the biggest problem we have right now and one thing that i'm focusing on in a lot of my content moving forward is you know everybody is so unbelievably divided um I mean, I sit there and just think of, like, if we, if we had class solidarity, if, you know, if we, if we had that kind of solidarity that the ruling class does, because they absolutely do. I mean, look at Trump going to jail, episode 5 million. He's never going to. Um, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if we had real class solidarity, we could get so much done snow himbo
0: class is a dirty word here in the united states we're about to get censored we're not allowed to say class we're all middle class here some of us are just a little bit more middle than others
1: oh yeah that's right that's (laughs) right um yeah i mean and everybody is just stuck so divided even even among like the right and the left factions everybody just there's there's so many roadblocks in the simple act of everybody just going okay we're all getting exploited um, why don't we all figure this out? Um, why don't we all get together and do something about it? Um, but instead you have everybody fighting over, first off, millions of cultural things, which the culture, I mean, at, yep. yeah, which I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, trans rights and all that, but you know, those, those people you're fighting for are also currently getting exploited right now while we're fighting this yeah the class war is much more in, in, uh, important to me uh, i don't care like
0: the the race or the gender of you know some uh character on a disney movie or something like that you know like i'm definitely an ally for you know trans people uh but sexuality lgbtq all that kind of stuff It's not a priority for me it might be for some and i'm sure many of those people um you know minorities too um are oppressed and i'm um, again that's why i'm an ally for them but i'm much more concerned with the political system the economic system you know the political economy maybe to use some uh Marx terminology um you know what they, they try to do is first off the ruling class it's a one-sided class war the ruling class has been winning for a long time we're finally starting to fight back a little bit but it's an uphill battle we got a long way to go uh Luckily, though, you know we're fighting, uh, you know, a lot farther off, or we're a lot farther on in this class. war uh, because of generations that became became before us. I've talked us talked on the podcast before, but I'm from the Pittsburgh area, Western Pennsylvania. We had the Homestead Massacre, the Homestead Riots, where the the steel workers wanted to, um, you know, they they were striking for more pay, uh, the better um, safety, you know, standards at, at the workplace. Uh, you know, they didn't want to work six days a week, 12 hour days. Um, so, you know, what the Andrew Carnegie and the capitalists Frick, uh, they hired the security forces, the Pinkerton militia to essentially, um, come and break it up and shot them down with, with force. So, uh, you know, right now we're not really, I don't think we're to the point where they're hiring private security forces to come kill striking workers. Um, so we're a little bit farther off, but no doubt it's the same kind of politics divide and conquer and uh, you know they're definitely using um, the culture war to try to divide society I was uh, again on a podcast with Robert Durden and he said you know trans rights are uh, a lightning rod for people abortion rights another one where you know you kind of find people religion um, you know kind of split up the population pretty good and that can you can kind of divide them into you know so-called right and left you know and when you have people divided and bickering infighting all that kind of stuff they're um, you know more focused on uh, the illusion, the culture war that's, you know, going on uh, in front of them, but behind closed doors, you know, in these corporate boardrooms in Washington and, you know, on Wall Street, this is a revolving door essentially from, you know, corporate boardrooms and into and, 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 uh, and, and the, you know, the, essentially the Washington... Um, you know, into the White House and into Congress. You know, people uh, within the, the, for example, the Biden administration, the same people that crashed the economy, he tapped to uh, rebuild the economy after the 2008. 2008- Financial crisis. So yeah, this divide and conquer politics. Uh, I want to go. And we got about five minutes to go. We had mentioned uh, before when we first started, uh, you know, con- conversing on Twitter and stuff. That's how we found each other. And this is a great conversation. I appreciate it. Maybe we can uh, join up again. I enjoy your perspective. Mm-hmm. Psychological operations. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? You said that's your jam. I think to quote you. Uh, talk about psy- psyops. I'm not too familiar with them, but they're all- going on all the time. These kind of corporate-state nexus psychological Psychological operations what what kinds of psychological operations psyops have you been interested in have you been following and talk to me about it maybe talk to, tell the people what a psychological operation is that haven't looked into it
1: uh so a psychological operation is a um essentially a a operation where a a level of deception is being carried out it is almost always meant for the for the purpose of manufacturing consent. It's for the purpose of getting a large group of people not to act, but to not react, if that makes sense. So you know, um there there will be a central action that a governing body, a group of people will take, and the PSYOP usually operates with the uh with the intention to normalize the action that's being taken um so you saw that heavily in the war in ukraine you're seeing it right now absolutely with israel even though the propaganda gans crap um I saw so, something like
0: israel spent like 10 million or something like that on the recent uh you know pro-israel protests going on or something along those lines these ones that are pro-palestine are organic and they're not being funded by elites but all the israel ones uh you know people are spending millions and millions of dollars to kind of carry out this psychological operation it seems like
1: yeah and so essentially the um the goal is to get people to not essentially get out in the streets for something that would otherwise be something that would give a lot of people uh Reasons for concern. Um, So when it comes to the war in Ukraine, you know, uh, obviously it's not the best optics to be uh, throwing, you know, billions of taxpayer dollars towards funding groups of people in a far right government that some have argued are outright fascist and have banned communist and uh, left-wing parties as well. And let's face it, they kind of have, I don't know, a Nazi problem. (laughs) Um, you know, it's um, it's it's to normalize that, and you saw that with a lot of the propaganda you saw on Twitter, saw on other parts of social media, where it was a lot of you know reframing of things. The same thing with the uh, same thing with the Israel Palestine conflict, where it's you know despite despite the atrocities that Israel has committed for many many years against the Palestinians, they're being painted as the victim. Um I saw they so, I saw
0: they killed I think from January first through October seventh. Uh, I saw they killed something like nine thousand Palestinians so and since then, there's been eleven thousand counting so they they, they always they, try to like get you to focus on like some Palestinian rocket that killed innocent civilians, which I do not condone, but uh you know, how about the six months or eight months leading up to that, or how about the seventy five years prior? you know what I
1: mean yeah, I mean. That's that's the thing. There's always an action and then a reaction. And, you know, it's it, a lot of a lot of the energy is spent focusing on the the action and not the reaction, which I'm finding is almost always far more disproportionate. I mean, you see nine eleven, and that was absolutely a tragedy and precious lives were lost and, you know. Whatever happened there is not acceptable by any means. But yeah, how about but, the
0: 20 years of war in the Middle East that the United States yeah. uh, fought? Yeah, I, I talk about an escalation of violence. Hey, my friend, uh, I, I think you got a show tonight. We got less than a minute to go. Uh, this time flies by as always.
1: Um, how about we catch up in the New Year? Does that sound cool? Let's go for it, my dude. All uh, right. It's always a you pleasure to
0: talking to you. You got and 50 seconds. Uh, Anything you want to go right ahead. 50 seconds. Go right ahead. Snow Himbo.
1: Uh, So I'll uh, I'll obviously plug Indie News Network, come subscribe, Uh, try and watch us on Rumble if you can, because we have a little bit more freedom with our speech. Uh, But I think the thing I'll focus on here is um, try and do all you can to help us achieve more class consciousness and more class solidarity. Because, you know, the only way we're going to get out of this capitalistic hellhole is if we're all united and not fighting over 8 million people. And that's what I'm going to end it with. Also, free Palestine.
0: Hey, and I'm also riding out on some new music. Shout out to uh, Drowning Dog and Malatesta. Check out the new soundtrack. Uh, Snow Himbo, we'll catch up soon.
1: All right, man. Take it easy. See ya. See ya.
0: illusions. Also want to thank my special guest, Snow Himbo, for a great discussion on geopolitics and the media. Also, special thanks to Drowning Dog and Malatesta for the music. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out.